What happens when a love spell goes too right? We take a look at a bizarre new film that if this is not a cursed film, I do not know what is. And then we travel to Kings Mountain in North Carolina. If there is ever a story that deserves to have ghosts tormented for eternity, this is that story today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead. This is not just another episode. I don't, guys. We beat The Simpsons. Everyone, round of applause. <laughs> Even if you're driving your car, if you're flying a jet, I want to hear a round of applause right now. We have beat The Simpsons. This is Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a phenomenal day. I hope you guys are having a phenomenal day as well. Episode 708. We now have more episodes of Dead Rabbit Radio than episodes of The Simpsons. I never, ever, ever imagined that at some point in my life, I would create something. You're like, Jason. Quality over quantity. I think this show's good. If I wasn't making this show, I would love this show. So I do believe that you can have... I always say, when people say quality over quantity, I go, BMW makes hundreds of thousands of cars a year. You can do both. And then they just kind of look at me and they go, my whole worldview has changed, man. You changed everything for me. And I go, you're welcome. We be The Simpsons. I love The Simpsons. I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons even to this day. So it is awesome that Dead Rabbit Radio now has more episodes than The Simpsons. And that is thanks to you guys. You guys supporting the show all the time. Speaking of show supporters strutting into Dead Rabbit Command. Everyone's going to be strutting this episode. It's one of our legacy Patreon supporters, Evan Young. Look at that strut. Look at that strut into Dead Rabbit Command. Evan, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally get it. That's fine. Just spread the word about the show. Make sure your friends, your family, your enemies, your sworn enemies know about the show. That also really helps out a lot. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so Evan, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgeable. We are leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to a small town in the middle of America. Evan is flying us over the beautiful blue skies of America. I found this on the X-Board recently. It's a very, very short story, but I thought it was fascinating. It kind of ties in a little bit what we were talking about yesterday, too. If you haven't listened to the episode, I'll do a quick overview at the end of this. But in 2008, this is the story I came across on the X-Board. In 2008, this dude, we're going to call him Jerry. Jerry finds a ritual on the X-Board. Very, very dangerous thing to do. Because you don't know who's posting. Everything's anonymous. And most likely it wouldn't work, right? Most likely it's just someone goofing off. But uh, Jerry finds this ritual on X. Here's the ritual. Write this down if you've ever wanted someone to fall in love with you. However, (laughs) before you perform it, you might want to finish listening to the segment. You're like, hot dog! And you run off and you do it. And then you're like, now to finish this segment. You're like, oh no. Here's what you need. First off, you need an object of desire, a human, another human, right? This can't be for like a pickle or like a cantaloupe rolling down the street. You have a human that you're in love with. You need three strands of their hair. So so it doesn't start off with the easiest ingredient. Obviously, if you know them, you could like get it out of their hairbrush. I'm not, let me back up to, I'm not recommending doing this. I'm not recommending doing this. I'm just saying that this is possible. You can get their hair. 
you get three strands of their hair. You need one photo or one personal item. You're a thief, right? You're a thief at this point. You need one photo at best or one personal item from the person. And then a wooden box that you could buy at Home Depot. You don't need to go like, will you make this box for me, please? And they're like, what? Why? Three strands of hair, one photo or a personal item of the person, and then a wooden box. You take the personal item, or the photo, we'll just say photo from here on out. You take the photo and the three hairs and you put them in the wooden box. And then you got to know all about moon stuff because you bury it on the waning crescent night of the lunar cycle. Then you got to know more moon stuff because I know what a waning crescent is. But then you dig up the step two, you dig up the box on the waning gibbous night. I have no idea. Look that up. The waning gibbous night, you take one hair out of the box and you eat it. You, you stopped writing stuff down. You're like, dang it, I'm not doing this love spell. That was too gross. You already told me to break into this person's house. I never said break in. I'm assuming you're their friend already, but you want it to be more. Doesn't make it doesn't make it less creepy. But I'm assuming you're not just like sneaking in while they're gone. You dig up the box on the waning gibbous night. So you buried it on the waning crest and you dig it up on the waning gibbous night. You take one hair out of the box and you eat it while you say their name three times, holding their photo or the personal item to your heart. So you go. Um, nom, nom. <laughs> you don't make those noise, otherwise you're going to fall in love with Grimace. But you eat the hair, and then you say the person's name over and over again, and then you bury the box again. And then you repeat it on the waxing gibbous lunar cycle. You dig the box up, now there's two hairs in it, you eat one of them, do the same thing, hold the item in your heart. Don't say nom nom nom, say their name three times. And then you do it a last time on the waxing crescent night of the moon cycle. That's it. That's the love spell that Jerry found on the X-Board. Fairly simple, right? You guys are all taking notes. And then you gave up when I said you had to eat human hair. Jerry's story goes, I found this ritual and this is what happened. I found this back like in 2008 and it worked. I did it had a belly full of hair. He goes, it took more than three times. I coughed up a hairball by the end of it. I had to do it for four months. But no, he says that it worked. He got the girl he was after. And he goes, the sex was really good, but there was no, like, love there. There was no love there. And eventually she cheated on him, and he just moved on with his life. But then six months later, she comes back into his life, and he's like, ah, you know, whatever. So for on and off, they have this relationship. It's purely sex. There's nothing more to it. So he moves on again, meets another woman, gets married. Yesterday, he posted this. He said, on June 26th, 2021, out of the blue, he gets a text from this girl. She goes, I don't know. There seems like to be a connection between me and you. I feel like part of me is still entangled in your lower intestine. He's like, ah. She texts him out of the blue. She's totally in love with him. She's totally in love with him all this time later. She's wanting to come over. And he's like, I'm married. I live with my wife. And he's basically, he's TLDR. Is don't mess with this stuff. That fascinating story, that's it, really. But this is one of the stories that we can extrapolate a lot of stuff from. Yesterday's episode, I talked about a man who murdered two women. This just happened last year. I found that story the same day I found this story. I was like, dude, X-Board is really kicking in a gear the other day. But So I'm reading these both at the same time. Yesterday's episode was about a man who murdered two women so he could win the lottery. He didn't. He didn't win the lottery. He did kill the two women. He's on trial right now. So, yeah, it's just uh, the love spells themselves are interesting. Like, this is an incredibly simple spell versus 
you know, tr versus trying to win the Mega Millions, trying to win the Mega Millions. And I wonder why love spells are so easy to perform, and, and they do tend to work. My personal hypothesis is that everyone wants to love and be loved. And so you're tapping into something that's totally natural. Being a millionaire, being a mega millionaire, isn't natural in the modern world. It's nice, but there's no equivalent to it in nature, right? Money is a man-made construct. But love is something like even little goat, even little goat. And we covered that story about the goat and the dog. They're buddies. Everything has a need to love, to give love, and to be loved. And so a love spell seems to tap into that super quickly. But I will say this, like, this story, I believe that Jerry... I mean, he could totally be making it up, right? And Jerry's having a good laugh, and that's fine, too. But I do believe that this story, or stories like this, are possible. Because love spells are very, very simple. Very dangerous, like he says. Like, now, this story is as recent as June 26th, and this woman's trying to get a hold of him. She wants to continue this fiery passion. And mo here's the thing. Most love spells don't have an off switch. That's part of the problem. And because you're tapping into something that's so primal, there's no way to shut it off. And he's moved on, and he's married, and this woman is most likely going to show up and start causing static of the house. And he'll have to make a decision. He he can cheat on his wife, which is not advisable. That's not the good decision. Or not. I guess that's the only decision, right? It's not like this woman. But what if she's crazy? What if she comes after him with an axe or something like that? Who knows? Love spells, very simple to do. There are a dime a dozen. You can find them all over the internet. Most of them are false. I don't know if this one's true. But don't mess around with love spells. I don't think I've talked that much about my magic past. I mentioned it here and there. I did an episode where I fought a witch. I think that's kind of where I covered it the most. But yeah, interesting stuff nonetheless. Thank you, anonymous user on Xboard. I really, really enjoyed that story. Evan, let's go ahead and call in the Carpenter Copter. I'm going to toss you those keys here, and I'm sitting there. I'm eating a plate of spaghetti. You're like, that's weird. Where'd you get Where'd you get the plate of spaghetti? It's human hair. I'm like, om, nom, 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 nom. Everyone will love me soon enough. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Evan jumps out. Evan bails out of the helicopter. It's on autopilot. No, he uh, sticks around. He's no coward, even though now he's strangely in love with me. Evan, go ahead and fly us on out to Kings Mountain, North Carolina. But as we're flying out there, dude, I, uh, I saw a movie the other day that I'm going to put on Dead Rabbit Recommends. I 100% recommend it. It's only a half hour long. I can't even tell you the plot. You just got to trust me. Well, let me back up. You got to trust me. <laughs> you got to trust me. And trust me when I say this is one of the most distressing movies I have seen in a long time. It's free. It's 29 minutes long. It won't take up most of your day. But you will spend most of your day thinking about it. I'm not going to give any warnings because that will spoil the plot. I will say this. If you are a sensitive soul, do not watch this movie. Do not watch The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. The Strange Thing About the Johnsons is the first film. I think he made it another short before this, but this was the film that got him deals in Hollywood. And when I'm saying him, I'm talking about director and writer Ari Aster. He made Hereditary, 
which I, I didn't really enjoy Hereditary. Very, very well-made movie. Great acting. Some of the best acting I've seen in a horror movie, honestly. Great cast. But I didn't like it. The thing is, when you watch Hereditary, after the movie, after all the secrets have been revealed, you start to reflect on it, and you go, well, well I mean, then, like, if that, if, if, if everything was planned out, they knew she was going to eat the peanut, and they knew she was going to eat the peanut here, because then this had to happen here, and then this person showed up. And so either the characters had no agency, because there was this prophecy, so really they, they made no decisions, everything was guided out for them, or this super secret group could plan out when someone ate a peanut. You're like, Jason, it doesn't make any sense. Is that an analogy? No. A big part of it is about eating peanuts. But beautifully shot movie. Great casting. I just wasn't a huge fan of it overall. So, and I didn't I didn't watch Midsummer because I, I didn't really like Hereditary. And I watched the trailer for Midsummer, and I go, cool, it's the Wicker Man. And that's apparently what it is for the most part. So when I found out that Ari Aster had made a short film that really propelled him into the sights of big studios, I wanted to check it out because that was my big thing. I always talk about the guy who directed the Spider-Man movies, got his start. He made a short film on YouTube called Clown. It was a fake movie trailer. Eli Roth saw it, was super impressed, got him to make a movie, a full-length movie called Clown which was okay. The last 20 minutes were really good, but everything else, the concept was great. And then next thing you know, he does Spider-Man trilogy. So I love seeing that. And that's why I'm always pushing you guys to do stuff too. Because it's those little things. You can't get to the big thing unless you do the little thing. So we got to do the little things. So I wanted to check this out, right? But again, I wasn't a huge fan of Hereditary, you know, but I still want to see what it was all about. The strange thing about the Johnsons is one of the most distressing movie that I've seen in any recent memory. It, it uh, And unlike Hereditary, when you watch The Strange Thing About the Johnsons and you go, well, wait a second, I wonder if, and you start to try to fill in the gaps with your mind, it gets worse. Right? <laughs> like the stuff he doesn't show is more disturbing than the stuff he shows and the stuff he shows is super gross. I'll do an audio. Here, here's basically my audio commentary for the whole movie. Oh, what? Uh... Wait, huh? Oh. Dude. Ha! Wait. Oh, no. Uh. There you go. That was pretty much it. Imagine that spread out over 29 minutes. That was basically like one scene. You'd be like, you'd have all those emotions. There are a couple times you'll chuckle. And some people classify it as a comedy. Like, some people say it's deeply satirical. I find it incredibly distressing. There are a couple times where there's just moments. Horror and comedy are very closely intertwined. This isn't like scary movie, right? It's not like guys are tripping down the stairs. But there's one or two moments where you do kind of laugh. <laughs> if you guys watch that, you guys are going to be like, dude, I have no idea what fart you're talking about when you're laughing. If you are not a, if you are trust me, dude, if you are a sensitive soul, do not watch this movie. I watched this movie a couple days ago. I've been waiting to record this segment. Like I, it's such a distressing and dark movie that um, it's close to cursed. Like it's stuck in my head. But Ari Aster, amazing job. The cast is really, really good. The he's he can really pull performances out of actors. And a cool little trivia note. The One of the characters in this movie was actually in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Evil Within, which if you ever watch any movie that Dead Rabbit recommends, The Evil Within is still, I think, one of the best independent horror movies ever made. Like, I still think about that movie constantly. 
I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, watch The Evil Within. But anyways, he's in that movie as well. But but it, it's it's very distressing. It's very dark. And um, you'll watch it and it will probably upset you. <laughs> or laugh or you'll chuckle a couple times. But yeah, if you're not a sensitive... I don't want to say anything else because I don't want to give away any plots. You have to go in blind to this movie. You are warned. This movie is close to cursed. It will distress you. So don't watch it before you go to a don't watch it before you go to a social gathering or you're going to a party or something like that because you'll just be standing off you'll be staring off into the corner and people will be like hey dude what's going on and you're like uh I think I think the strange thing about the Johnson haunts me there's a Vimeo link and a YouTube link you can watch it for free on either platform I'm putting those in the show notes Evan Let's go ahead and leave behind when we're watching the movie in the carpenter copter. Evan's closing his eyes. He's like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I'm a sensitive soul. He crashes the carpenter copter. We are now at Kings Mountain in North Carolina. I got a lot of this information from a website called thisiswhywestand.net. I think it's like a military historical website, but very, very well-written article about the Battle of Kings Mountain. And when I came across this story, I thought, if ghost exists, if any ghost stories are real, this story is real. It's May 1780. The Revolutionary War between the American colonies and Britain is on. Load them up, boys. Actually, at this point, the British are winning the war. They've conquered Georgia. They've taken South Carolina. They're making major inroads into North Carolina. Things are not looking good for the colonies. And in May of 1780, on the border of North Carolina and Virginia, 350 Virginians are massacred by British troops. People were begging for their lives, and the British were like, nope, shooting them dead. Adults and children getting slaughtered. And this is the type of thing that can either break the will of the people or unite them. In North Carolina, one of the military leaders for the British was Major Patrick Ferguson. He had an army of soldiers, as well as what were known as loyal Americans, which today would basically be an American. But back then, they were colonists who were loyal to the British. So loyal Americans actually fought for the British and American volunteers as well. So he had a fighting force of British soldiers as well as colonists on his side. And he was marching through North Carolina and he warned the people, you guys need to stop this rebellion. We're going to destroy everything in our path. And they'd already done this. They'd already killed these 350 people. He wasn't part of that. But the message was very clear. The British government was not going to cease. They were this empire. They were the empire. And who were these colonists? They're just going to destroy. They would rather burn everything down than lose this battle. But because of this war crime and others, obviously it wasn't the only war crime, but you saw colonists finally realizing we have to fight. They're going to kill us if we don't. They're going to kill us if we do and we lose, but they're just slaughtering civilians at this point. September 25th, 1780, 840 colonists known as over-mountain men. I think nowadays they're just mountain men. They don't go over them. They just hang out at the bottom. Basically frontiersmen raggedy old hermits who shoot stuff for food, right? That I guess that's how they all got their food back then. I guess they were slaughtering cows, but people who live in the wilderness, they know the wilderness, and that's how they eat. They're eating bark off trees, om nom nom. See someone else shoot a squirrel, you're like, oh, I should do that. This is their land. 
Well, technically, it's the natives. But <laughs> right now, they're there. The Overmountain Men, there's 840 of them. They begin to... They decide to take the battle to Ferguson. And Ferguson gets word that there is this massive militia. He has 1,100 men. So 840, that's pretty even odds. And these people know the lay of the land. So Ferguson decides to make his stand at King's Mountain. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a mountain. But this mountain also has a bunch of craggly rocks at the top, which is a perfect... It's basically described as almost like a castle fortification. You can hide behind these huge jagged rocks, open fire, they're going to have a really hard time shooting you. Any places that were a little more exposed, they put their supply wagons there. The mountain man militia is headed their way. Ferguson goes, we'll make our stand at King's Mountain. He then sends out two messengers. They're brothers, actually. James and Douglas Duncan. He says, you guys need to go to General Cornwallis for reinforcements. He hesitated because he didn't remember if Cornwallis was a general. I'm pretty sure he's a general, brigadier general. Clop, 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 clop. That's not a Jamaican rapper. Those are the sound of two British horses riding off down King's Mountain. James and Douglas Duncan are going out to get this message. We need reinforcements. But as they're passing by the South Fork of the Catawba River... They decide trying to get reinforcements, trying to get reinforcements for our brother in arms, sure is exhausting. Let's stop by this little tavern here at the South Fork of the Katawab River. Let's stop by this little tavern. Let's get some refreshing beverages. So these two British soldiers walk into a bar. This isn't a joke. This is not a joke. It's going to turn out to be an incredibly bad decision. Apparently, the British troops were wearing clothes similar to the loyal Americans. They had on their British uniforms, but on top of that, they would have on these long shirts, these long, like, like the shirts you would see in, like, a David Bowie show, like the leather shirt with the fringes. So they didn't, they weren't so conspicuous. They weren't walking around in these giant red outfits with these hats, but they, the, the big giveaway, the big giveaway is their British accents, right? They go into this bar, they're wearing, they're wearing like leather jackets, but underneath them, you can clearly see like these brass buttons sticking out of it, bright red collar. And they go in there like two of your finest ales, bar wench. And it's some, actually some big burly guys, like you call me a bar wench one more time. They're at this tavern, and again, like it's a it's a revolutionary war, so it's not like everyone in America is on the side of the rebels. They he's they're working with a bunch of Americans who want the British to succeed. So they're not really thinking. They go into this bar in North Carolina where a war crime had just been committed a couple months earlier. These two brothers are brutally murdered in this bar. They're slaughtered. Because the people in this bar were not loyal Americans. They were loyal to America. October 7th, 1780. The Mountain Man forces now are 1,400 men, right? They started off with 840, and other people are like, hey, what's going on over there? And they see 840 hillbillies walking through the woods. Hey, Ma, I'm going to go join them hillbillies. Be back by sunset, Joey. They were walking, they just walked and walked and walked. They said that they were they didn't stop. These were men on a mission because they knew where these British troops were. They get to the bottom of King's Mountain and it's a firefight. It's a firefight. You have 1,400 people at the bottom of a mountain. You have 1,100 at the top. Any other location, any other fighting force 
it probably would the British probably would have been able to hold out for a long time, right? They're waiting for the reinforcements. They're like, uh, we sent those guys out for reinforcements uh like like two weeks ago. No one's ever come back. But they're fighting mountain men. And when you think of a mountain, right? Like normally when you think of a mountain, or maybe this is just me, because I only see them in cartoons, it's like a giant rock in the middle of the landscape. But this mountain, it was a mountain. They did have a high ground, but, but it's like every every three feet going up this mountain, there was giant trees and gullies and like big rocks. And the British troops, because some of them survived, were at the top of King's Mountain and they see this army of 1,400 ragged old hillbillies at the bottom of this mountain. And they start shooting. They start shooting. They're like, oh, we have the high ground. They'll never, they'll never get us. It's not like they have air superiority, right? They don't have to worry about mortars or anything like that. But then they start to realize that these hillbillies, these mountain men, walk a couple feet up, take a shot, and then hide behind a tree. And reload on their gun. And the British are like, oh, well, he'll pop back out from behind that tree, right? But then he just runs to another tree, takes a shot from that tree, and reloads. Then he runs to another tree, takes a shot from that tree. Multiply that by 1,400 people. And they're watching, they're surrounded. They're watching these people creep up the mountain. They'll shoot, run to another tree. There's just a barrage of gunfire. They, they have no clean shots of these people. And these mountain men are getting closer and closer to the top of the mountain. This is their home. This is where they're from. The British troops are like, great. This is not going in well. But eventually, reinforcements are right around the corner. They're looking. They've seen this little corner there. Oh, man. Eventually, they are able to get to the top of the mountain. And they encircle them and just annihilate the British troops. It, it, it is a massacre. There, here's a quote we got from a rifleman named James Collins. Quote, On examining the dead body of their great chief, speaking about Ferguson, it appeared that almost 50 rifles must have been leveled at him at the same time. Seven rifle balls had passed through his body. Both of his arms were broken, and his hat and clothing were literally shot to pieces. He was on a horse, by the way. They don't say what happened to the horse. Remember, the loyal Americans and even the British troops were dressed in the American garb. They were wearing the long coats and they were wearing the wide-brimmed hats. The people at the bottom of the hill were dressed the same. Now, that was totally fine when one person's at the bottom of the hill and one person's at the top of the hill. You know who's on your side. But as they start getting closer and you're going to have around 2,000 people at the top of this mountain shooting at each other, they have to figure out a way. I could. I. I can barely figure out who to shoot in battlefield. Right. My guys have gamer tags, and then the other team doesn't. They're in this battle to be able to tell each other apart. The loyal Americans up at the top of the mountain. They took twigs. They took branches and stuck them in their hat. So if you see someone with a branch in your hat, that's you. That's one of your guys. The people at the bottom, the mountain men, they took little slips of paper, a little white piece of paper, put it in their hat. How, dude? So many people must have gotten blown away by the wrong side. They're not looking for that. It already takes you two minutes to load your gun, right? And then you're like, twig, 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 paper. Like, and then you realize you have the paper in your head. You're like, dang it, I got him confused again. Could you imagine being in a battle of 2,000 people 
Half of them are you, half of them is the other side, and you guys all look the same. You guys are literally wearing the same uniform. When they shot Ferguson off his horse, he was wearing the long shirt and the hat as well, but he had his British uniform on underneath. And the bullets just... <laughs> guns didn't even shoot that fast back then. There was no machine gun, but somehow they still made that noise. The loyal Americans began to surrender to the mountain men. Didn't matter. Now was another war crime. They just began assassinating these surrendering troops until eventually cooler heads prevailed and they're like, okay, yeah, you have to put your gun down. Put your gun down. I know he has a twig in his hat, but that's not how we do things. The British, between their own forces, between the loyal Americans and the American volunteers, lost 225 people. The mountain men, 28. I mean, a total rout. And 700 prisoners were taken by the mountain men as well. This battle was so... We're getting to the ghost thing, right? You're like checking your watch. You're like, oh, I didn't know. I was listening to the Wikipedia hour. This battle was so instrumental in the defeat of the British. This battle showed that a ragtag militia could stomp across the state, walk up a mountain, and annihilate the enemy. Thomas Jefferson said of this battle, quote, that glorious victory was the joyful enunciation of that turn in the tide of success, which terminated the Revolutionary War, unquote. Even the other side, even the British. We have this quote from the commander-in-chief, Sir Henry Clinton. Call, this is interesting because, you know, I'm an American and I see the Revolutionary War as good. I've never heard it described as evil before, but... British Commander-in-Chief Sir Henry Clinton, he called it, quote, the first link in a chain of evils that followed each other in regular succession until they at last ended in the total loss of America, unquote. It was just one year later from this battle, it completely turned the tide of the entire war, that the British lost the Americas. King's Mountain was one of the most, if not the most pivotal battle of the Revolutionary War. So let's go back to these brothers. These brothers who were sent to get reinforcements and instead got a delicious cold beverage. I found the story of the brothers. They weren't mentioned in the article about this is why we stand. I found the story of the brothers from the National Directory of Haunted Places, which is one of my favorite books. I'll put it in the show notes. I was going through it the other day and I found this story about James and Douglas Duncan. To this day, if any ghost story is real, this one, I read this ghost story and I thought, this is, this would make so much sense. If ghosts are real, this has to be real. To this day, when you're traveling through the area of Salisbury in North Carolina, which is where Kings Mountain is, which is the path they took to go to get reinforcements, you can be traveling down Kings Mountain Road. You may see two ghostly spirits, British Soldiers riding their phantom horses down the road. Their once bright red British uniforms are now soiled in mud and in blood. Their skin is rotten. It's green. And they ride past you on their horses with hollow, sunken eyes, looking for help. They're galloping off towards a place they can never reach. Sometimes you'll see the figures off their horses. You'll see two soldiers with a map laid out on a rock. 
And they're steadying this crude piece of parchment, trying to figure out which way to go. Eternally lost. Eternally damned. They may not know the war is over. They're playing out their final moments. They may not even know that they're dead. But their phantoms rot and mold and decay. But they're still trying to find their way off of King's Mountain. They're still trying to find hope, help, reinforcements. But these things no longer exist for the Duncan brothers. We cover stories about ghosts that have died tragic deaths. We cover stories about ghosts who have a mission left on Earth, so that's why they're still hanging around. These two ghosts not only caused the death of 225 of their brothers-in-arms and the imprisonment of 700 more, these spirits caused an empire to fall. These two men were on a mission and they were murdered. And because of that, an entire nation broke its shackles from British rule. If any ghost is tormented, it would be these two. They had one job to do, and they failed. So now they will wander through King's Mountain for eternity, trying to find redemption. But it is always just a little farther down the road. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>